Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. And I am Nathan Sager. In the sport of kings, Eurico Rosa da Silva was far from the castle. He was actually living in a mental dungeon. His descent from rural Brazil to becoming a champion jockey was fueled by talent and confidence, but it masked anxiety that he eventually learned to attribute to his distant and callous father. In Riding for Freedom, Da Silva, now 45, discusses in detail his rise, which took him from his birth country to Macau and then to Canada, where he won the Queen's Plate, back-to-back, Canada's oldest and most prestigious thoroughbred horse race. That was back in 2009 and 2010. What makes it more remarkable is that when he first moved to Toronto, he lived uh, with family in Scarborough, and he took the bus and uh, several transfers <laughs> to get to Woodbine to find the gig. A true skilled immigrant tale. But decadence also makes way for the depraved, and more importantly, the underlying reasons that fueled it. De Silva discusses sex compulsion, gambling, infidelity, and what appears to be purely obsessional OCD, OCD and how it took a hold inside of him. A man from the outside who appeared to have beaten the odds and it wouldn't let go. Through professional help today, De Silva, who lives northwest of Toronto in Campbellville, Ontario, appears to have found a measure of peace with his second wife and daughter. Nate has more on the six-time Canadian Jockey of the Year who won the distinction four years in a row from 2015 to 2018 when he retired. Yeah, he was still like winning in his 40s and decides to hang it up. Like Athletes don't do that. I can't think of any example in the team <laughs> sports. Uh, there was, there was, there was that one quarterback, and of course, I mean, Henry Burris when he led the Ottawa Red Blacks to the 2016 Grey Cup at age 41. Can't think of anything else. <laughs> no one else. Uh, this was a strong hunch play for us, uh, since uh, Eurico Rosa da Silva is our first guest with a self-published book, and our first from the world of horse racing, which is admittedly very much on the fringe of our sporting consciousness. Uh, we did have a basic name recognition since it was just over a year ago that he, you know, hung hung it up at age 44, and it stood out since you know he was still at the top of his game. You know, just three months earlier, he had brought El Tormenta, a 44 to one long shot. Home to bring, home to bring the win the Woodbine Mile, which is a big early fall race on the Canadian thoroughbred circuit. And you mentioned the back-to-back Queen's Plates win wins. He's got he's only one of four jockeys in the last half century who has gone back-to-back riding winners in Canada's biggest uh, thoroughbred race. Now I'm not sure whether De Silva and collaborator Bruce McDougall even actually mentioned that in Riding for Freedom. Uh, so, you know, as they focus more on De Silva's, you know, journey out of out of rural Brazil to where he is today, and and his, you know, all the th- things he had to fight fight through inside of himself to before he became a, you know, s- someone who settled into this second career as a you know mental coach who works with high performance athletes. Uh, you know, he had early childhood traumas, and you know, you know, feeling like not he wasn't worthy of being loved, and that sort of fed into risky behaviors and self-sabotage and guilt that he had to work out in therapy and, and it is you know refreshing to see him you know graduate from that to helping other high performance athletes uh, he did pour over his site mindcoaching.ca and there was a lot of useful stuff about containing your negative emotions and regulating your yourself you know you can't stop that i mean you can only hope to contain it have you been uh, reading khalil gabrain again uh, no that's that's from hootie and the blowfish neil Something else that's of his that stuck out in promoting this book is he's really said it was about learning to be his own best friend, you know, BFFs with the, the real me. You know, that's uh, it's so many times such as this when, 
you know, for the last 12 months, all the circumstances with uh, the coronavirus have given us all a lot more solo time. You know, right after that, I think I stumbled on to reading how brain doctors are affirming that, you know, our most important conversations, you know, need to be with ourselves. And I can't resist uh, thinking of a, you know, a BoJack Horseman episode where basically all the dialogue is in BoJack's head and he's just berating himself as a piece of shit <laughs> over and over. You you can never resist BoJack Horseman. I have a big bag of shh with your name on it if you keep going with that. Yes, true. Thanks. You're uh, raining <laughs> me in there. Literally. Going to the whip. Uh, another universal seeming truth I heard come out of uh, Eureka was how he bonded with horses when he was young because there was no judgment from them. And, and children, especially in the early childhood stage, sort of need to be feel as they're you know being accepted, not judged for anything, or else that's where all the neuroses you know, show up in adulthood. You know, I relate to that as much as on another day I would laugh when a certain... Uh, anthropomorphic cartoon horse voiced by Toronto native Will Arnett says I spend a lot of time with the real me and believe me nobody's going to love that guy so there's a lot to draw out here a lot to, a lot of grass to mow and you know hopefully this interview will be out of the gate quickly get into a full gallop and break to the inside and offer some pro tips about how to stay on your right track do you get it? because horses run on tracks and our guest road horses and DeSilva's book has a lot of human condition do you get it? do you get these metaphors about the track? Uh, there's a whole page of this in the Google Doc, Nate. Okay, point taken. The big ups to uh, Eurico Rolosa da Silva for joining us on Sportslet. And again, check our catalog at sportslet.ca and wherever you find your podcasts. And check out our Talk About Sportslet podcast Facebook group. Lots of uh, written content up there on the regular. I won't say well-written because I've written it because <laughs> I wrote it. But here, anyway, here we are, Eurico Rolosa da Silva and Riding for Freedom, Neil. Yes, exactly. And just before we have him, I want to reiterate what you just said. Yeah, go to our website and also check out uh, Nate's segues, uh, which uh, will be on the website soon as well. Select ones of those. And, yeah, you can buy any of these books at sportslit.ca, including this one, which we're going to talk about, Riding for Freedom with Eurico Rosa da Silva. He's up next. <laughs> Welcome back to Sports Lit, Nate. We are very happy to have Yuriko Rosa da Silva. And Yuriko, uh, sorry, I, I've got to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Do I have it? Yes, yes, Yuriko. Yuriko, yes. okay, good. Yes. Um, so, Yuriko, I want to ask you, um, this was a self-published book. Um, and I wanted uh, to ask you, what made you want to go that route to get the story out? Because if you have it in your hand, it looks just like a book from the bookstore. It, it, you know, you wouldn't know the difference. I want to know how you decided to go the self-publishing route. Well, I talked with Bruce, who wrote the book for me, and uh, he's, he uh, we tried to reach some uh, publishing, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the process will take a long time. Okay, and I, I told him. Um, uh, and he said, Eurico, I, uh, you know, he uh, mentored me on the on this, and he said, I think it's the best way we should publish the book. I think the the book is a really good book, and uh, and and a better. I think is the better best way is you publish self publish the book, and you know, I I took his advice, and that's what I did. Great. Now, how did you and and Bruce uh, connect to uh, work together? gather on this I was working uh, with a friend on my speech uh, she's uh, Suzanne her name um, 
she she uh, helped me to write my speech and I, I told her that I was looking for a writer because I met this, uh, some uh, writer before uh, but uh, they want more uh, focus on winning races you know because I want so many races they said I think it's the best way for you to do this book Eric not talking much about the personal life but you know you have so many victory you know um, and I didn't want to go to that uh, that direction. I said no. I want to. My my intention is to write. It's not about talking my about my success. You know, I want right. to talk my failures because I feel like you read my book. I feel many times. Yeah. You know, I was able to stand up on my leg and and get my life right. And and I want to inspire people to open up about this thing. You know. Sometimes we feel ashamed, such a small little thing, but turn to be so important to us and we hold inside ourselves. And, uh, and then uh, going back with, for your question, and um, I asked Suzanne if she knew any, anyone. She said, oh, I know a friend called Bruce. Maybe she'll be able to help you. When I met Bruce and we spoke for 30 seconds, I knew he's the guy to do my book. Like I just have that feeling. And, you know, he's wonderful. Oh, my God. He did a, such a great job and was a great experience. There was, a, yeah, there was a lot of detail in this book that he must have, uh, uh, you know, he got from you or just from research, especially when he's describing places in Brazil and, and you know, the going to different uh, areas, different places, going to Macau. Was that all from detail that you told him about or did he do any traveling for it or how did that, how did that part uh, come about in the book? I'll be honest, I, when I, I was thinking about the book, I said, you know what, I want, uh, I want the right to go to, to Brazil, go to my town, to see, you know, is, is, is to see the poverty and, and have a feeling of the place. But it was not possible to do, um, and uh, especially with this virus, right. you know. And, uh, and, and Bruce went there, he did the research. You know, I say the place here, this place, how it was. Uh, but all the small little details, he went there and did the research. Like, he's such an amazing guy for that. Am I pronouncing it, or is it the Hippodrome in, uh, in Sao Paulo where you first started? The, the, the... <laughs> Go ahead. No, no. I start I start. I start in my town. Yeah, ra racing my town. Right in and, Buri, and, Buri. Right, and then you 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 went to Sao Paulo. I, no, oh. then I moved to Itapetininga. Okay. You know, right. Um, another town is bigger than my town. My town is very small, only twenty thousand people. Right. So what? And, and Itapetininga is is bigger. And then right? what, what? There where? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Uh, there where I start, where I met Zeli Medeiros, mm -hmm. who trained me to to become a, a professional jockey. And at what point did you get to Sao Paulo? I got to Sao Paulo. I left home. I was around 13 years old. Right. And I got to Sao Paulo. I was almost 16. You know, I it, was close to be 16. It was. It was in that. It was that part in Sao Paulo where I. I really what Bruce may have done really impressed me because he's talking about walking into and I think it's called the hippodrome right the, the and, and no, the, the hippodrome yes 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 yeah sorry uh, I might be pronouncing track. it wrong yes yes no the racetrack right yes and, the racetrack in Sao Paulo is 
beautiful. It used to be like a paradise, that place, you know? Right. And, and yeah. Bruce re- describes that in, in excellent detail. That's what, so I could really sense that, you know, he had talked yeah. to someone and done his research. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I think the average person, like we said before when we talked uh, before recording, you know, the average sports fan who, who maybe just watches the Kentucky Derby, um, that know, they know, you know, they always hear about the horse, you know, secretariat, uh, you know, that type of thing in Canada. You know, you may know about Northern Dancer, but I want to ask you from the jockey perspective, um, how competitive is it to become a jockey, as you explain in the book, from that young age in the small town and then going to the bigger city and competing against fellow jockeys? How competitive is it to become a jockey? It's very competitive. It's very, very competitive business. Uh, just like when I went to school, I, I have around like 70 kids did the test in the school. We got like six. I believe today is uh, the only one carry on, uh, you know, to do good and continue riding was me. You know, uh, most of them rode for two, three years. They stopped because of the weight or they could not, they could not do uh, well enough and they, they stopped. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think have one one other uh, was one of of the kids that started with me. I think he rode about ten years, then he stopped. Also, it's a very competitive, um, very competitive business. How- Even here in Canada, it's like how many riders I saw start here. You know, right. and they stop. They just don't go on. You have you you know when you start this business. You have to put your soul in them. Like right. it's very, very competitive, and and waiting for the chance. You know, prepare yourself, wait for the chance to ride a good horses, and then when that chance comes, you just grab with two hands. How how does it start as you know with the role of an apprentice? So people may not know how far back it goes. They might just see the jockey like Sandy Holly or or yourself. But explain how it works for becoming an apprentice all the way up. It's a lot of work. Usually, uh, they start when, uh, especially like in Brazil, is a lot of South America country. Even here, they st- we start riding like when we are ten years old. You know, nine, ten years old. Mm-hmm. You know, very seldom you see one start when maybe when fifteen, sixteen. Um, but to take a lot, a lot of training. Uh, for you to ride, you know, and, uh, and and the mental part too, because you know you have to keep your weight down, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not only like oh I I'm a good rider, but you you have to have the weight, you have to have everything. What is the role of the apprentice? What do you have to do when you're a young apprentice? Uh, is it how does it help you know know the sport, know the horse, know how to ride it? Well, when you are a prince, you already practice for at least three or four years riding before that. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, you know how to ride a horse. You know. Now is uh, when you as a prince, you have the advantage because you start with like in Canada, we you start with ten pounds less. Like your horse is going to carry one point four. It's going to carry only one fourteen. Mm. Because it has to be fair, right? And um, 
can I believe I think they ride four or five races like no whip for the first time. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh -huh. uh, and 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 you know they have that advantage of the weight because they does they don't have the experience of the the another the like a journeyman that is a professional jockey. You know, and then after I think they win four or five, they get uh, they only going to last five pounds. But five pounds is a lot. You know, if you are a good apprentice, you can take a lot of advantage about that. Right. Um, I want to before I Nate ask you a couple of questions about the mental side of things. I want to ask you about how you uh, had to hide your asthma. You know, we're talking about how competitive it was to become a jockey. You know, you had to hide, uh, you know, a pretty uh, strong ailment that affected you uh, and might still affect you. Um, could you go through that story again of the doctor uh, suggesting you may have a cold or, or whatever and you hiding your asthma? Yeah, well, it was very tough for me because uh, when I went to Sao Paulo, the pollution there, you know, it's a big town, right? And and my plus the stress that I have, my, my asthma always, always bothered me. And uh, it's like when I ride a race, and sometimes I need to hide that I'm heavy, I'm suffocated, right? Mm -hmm. And then I need to run to my locker, put the, the spray under my my shirt, go to the bathroom, and oh my God, I'm here. And then I, I uh, you know, I, I, I use the spray, the asthma spray, right. you know, to feel better, right? Mm -hmm. And then how many times I, I, I hide this for how many times how many years i was there for eight years i was right hiding for eight years and when you were younger you, you know you couldn't even get the medication right you had to just do without uh when i was young my friend i suffer from this freaking uh asthma right. you know how many times like my grand my grandfather uh carried me on 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 his back and take me to the hospital you know we are poor right Mm -hmm. And then I start working. I work like a horse to buy just to buy medication. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to uh, do very hard work. Uh, like, you know, I I I I collect uh, can uh, and bottle in the street. I uh, I uh, shine shoes in the street. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I'm eight, seven, eight years old doing that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. And and one thing that I really got got out of reading about training to be a jockey, like what what kind of like physical strength does it take to be someone who weighs about you know 115 pounds, but you know earns the trust and controls the movement of a you know a 1,200 pound horse? You have to be very strong. Uh, your legs have to be very strong. Is our sport is a sport that you use your entire body. Okay, you use every muscle on your on your on your body. Just for you to understand, when in the beginning of the season we have a break of four months here, okay, three and a half months, and I usually take one month break. Uh, if when I was the last five years I was taking the break, uh, I was not riding the winter. Uh, and then I go riding Taekwondo. And I do weights and I, I, I train Taekwondo four days a week. And when I go back to ride, just gallop in the morning, my body, my body is so sore everywhere. That's how much, how much you have to be very, very strong. 
Yeah. And now on, 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 on the mental strength side, uh, something I was once told by a very person who knows a lot about this basketball coach named Dave Smart was he says sometimes your strength can be your weakness in term on the in terms of your you know the mental game what does your story say about that i mean you wanted to win every race but as the book details a lot of the times there was you know anger and compulsion that was was kind of at the root of that i have to use like i use martial arts okay to channel my anger uh and also when you are there as a sportsman and a competitor i was the win, winning has to be out of my mind because winning, if you think about winning, creates a lot of expectation, okay? When I was riding and I was training my men to work, all I did was focus just on the component that was in my control. I have a way that I, I every race, I, um, I have the record where I have to be focused on. That's what I used to hold my focus hmm. You're... On, on, on the racing days. So, right. You know, I'm doing this and everything go good. That's what is going to help me to win. But not dreaming about winning or, or think about winning or celebrating. No, I was just focused on the moment and focusing the whip the horse in the right time, push the, right, the horse in the right time, Give a chance for the horse to breathe, you know. Don't um, be be smart enough to not get in the box, you know, because it's very easy for you to get box in the race, right? Right. Um, and uh, all, all this this kind of thing, you know. And take all the trainers, take another job from your mind, you know. Just block everything. Um. I, and go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you. Um, when you um, when you first uh, made your big move to Macau, and I think that was 1998, um, and you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, how did you end up going there instead of the U.S. like you wanted to, and how did that help you become a better rider, if at all, going to Macau? My intention was to go to New York, New York or Kentucky, but more New York. I try. I tried to get the visa for the United States, but you know Brazil is a third country, right? And um, and it's very hard to get the visa. And I could go like take a visa just to visit the United States. I didn't want to take that risk, you know. Mm. And uh, I could not get my visa. And in the meantime, when I was trying to get the visa, uh, I have this very famous jock in Brazil. And was good friend of mine called Albenzio Barroso. He was in Macau, riding Macau. And Macau, the money is really good, mm. you know? Like the money, the purse money is very good. Right. Uh, and the race is very famous there, you mm. know, very popular. Uh, not famous, sorry. Very popular. Race is very popular in Macau. And he said, Rico, go to Macau, okay, get the experience. Uh, and then you go to United States, you know? And uh, I said, okay. But he never dreamed that I have a lot of problems with sex addiction, gambling, right. you know? Right. And the place was good to, for me to make money, but, you know, mm -hmm. there is all casino, yes. nightclubs, you know? Yeah. People partying all the time. 
and that was not a good place for me, my friend. Yeah, well, well that's what I was going to ask you <laughs> about, um, because... You, you, yeah, that didn't help me at all. Yeah, a lot of those good places to uh, make money are turns out to be good places to spend money sorry neil no that's cool uh, yeah exactly. no, i was gonna ask you sorry about that neil. Uh, yeah i was gonna ask you so in macau as a rider as a racer as a jockey how did that help things and or, or how did that affect you but also yeah i, I mean there's a, a part in the book where you talk about these thoughts come roaring back into your head you know the gambling and, and the sex so um i'd like you to kind of explain on two fronts how you know how macau affected you strictly as a jockey and 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 helped your career or or maybe hindered it and then how it affected you you know how your mental health was affected by being in macau uh was was um most most of the time in macau i was not a head place for me you mm. know first because is a is a is a island that uh, when horse land there is their end that didn't went well in my heart okay mm. oh yes you talked Second, about that yes Secondly, second, I um, what happened is is um, uh, how to say with my language. I was my English was like I was just learning, right? Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating sometimes when you want to speak it up and you can't speak it up, right? You know. But the good part is I rode with a lot of Australian jockeys. They're they, you know. Um, there, I rode with some really good uh, Australian jockey, jock from New Zealand, jock from uh, Africa, and all different styles. You know, all different. All they all ride a little bit different. Okay, and that was the good part. Really helped me out from jockey, great jock from France, from Germany, from you know, from Europe, all over Europe. Right. And uh, that what really really helped me out because I started looking at them okay that time I didn't work on my mental but I hired a very good uh, 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 personal trainer to to train me in the gym you know he used to train me and I used to see how they they ride you know I'm trying to combine my the way I ride and change a little bit the way they ride you know, and right. I was a good learning, always a good learning, you know, as much was uh, was tough, but it was a great learning. Right. So, yeah. And, and then, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, in terms of uh, it was kind of a playground for the things you probably wanted to get away away from when you left Brazil, too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And now when I left Brazil, I'll be honest with you, I said, oh, you know, all, all this feeling this emptiness is going away from me, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, never, really never went. I met my, my first wife, you know, thing got much, much better. You know, I learned a lot, you know, the, the way really their family, Chinese family, they are very united. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was really good for me to see that, you know? Right. They can argue all week, but <laughs> end of the week they all go, they all go for lunch together. You know, right? And uh, and and it's nice to see that. You know, like yeah. a very united family. Right, because I mean, it wasn't exactly the same with you when you grew up, right? So it was you were. I grew up in com completely different. You know, different environment, right? Right. 
So, so what's the next step that leads you to for, to leave Macau and and come to Toronto in the early two thousands? Yes, was uh, I came here. I came. I I uh, I came to visit. Was uh, two thousand two. I came just to visit Toronto. Okay, and I didn't know nothing about the racetrack. My goodness, when I went to the racetrack, man, and I saw the racetrack. And I said, oh, this is the place I want to be. Like, no question. I don't. I was trying to go to New York again, right? I was trying. I, I was. Uh, my, I uh, was in my mind just to go to New York to ride in New York after Macau, because it was much easier for me to to get the visa. You know, once I have, uh, I was in Macau and I have experience. I already speaking English. It was much much easier for me to get a visa to go to New York. But when I I came here. And I saw the racetrack. I said, "Oh, I don't want to go to New York. I want to be here." And beautiful horses, great purse money. The track is amazing. Our turf track, my goodness, is so beautiful. And I said, "This is the place I want to be." And I start dreaming about. And I came here in 2004. That that's when I moved to Toronto in 2004 as well. And. What I thought of, uh, actually, and I think it's probably the best part of the book, at least the, the part that resonated most with me, is when you were, you know, you come to Toronto, uh, you know, just feeling it out, and you go to Scarborough, and you stay with a family, uh, some family, and you take uh, you take the TTC to Woodbine, and I, in my head, know that path from Scarborough to Woodbine is probably one of the longest journeys you're going to take on the TTC and you're talking about multiple transfers and I I just pictured you know a lot of times when I'm on the TTC I always you know because people like to knock the TTC and I'm like you never know who's beside you so there's a world champion jockey on the red rocket going to uh, Woodbine so uh, before I ask you a little bit more about coming here and Woodbine itself yeah explain that that first uh, time trying to just get to Woodbine and get to be heard from and, and show people who you are. When I came here, like, let's go back to the TTC, you know, I could easily take a cap and go to the racetrack, but I didn't, I didn't want to, chew. I want to see the culture. I want to learn about the people. I said, you know, I'm going to take the TTC and I'm so glad I did because what a great experience it was, you know, I'll be honest with you. I love take the TTC anyway. Um, uh, and you know when I arrived here, was thought is very competitive place. It's not easy to to break in, not easy to break in. And um, I remember inside the jocks room, uh, I was complaining that I maybe that time I just won about ten races. And the guy said, the, another jock said to me, "Oh, are you thinking you're going to win more than twenty here the first year?" I said, "I will." Uh, um, uh, I, I, I said to him, um, I will carry uh, uh, my license away if I don't, I don't win, uh, I don't win at least forty, and wow. I end up win forty nine, right? Wow. Um, yeah. No, no, it's a very competitive place. Um, but uh, yeah, so you come here, and I wanted to. I mean, I've been saying that I wanted to ask. I am asking you in the sense that Canada is, you know, Brazil's a warm country. Macau's probably pretty warm, but then Canada's cold. So how does that affect? And in fact, I noticed that you you set the Woodbine track win record in December in 2018. But how to? What are the unique challenges that come with racing in a cold weather climate? I love Canada. Um, I love. I think because I love Canada so much, I'll be honest with you. 
the winter never bothered me since I've been here. Until until now. Until now, <laughs> never the winter never never. I I just love I love Canada so much, guys. It's so easy to live life here. You know, you go take your driver license. It's easy to do. You go you go t- uh, you buy a house. Is the documents is very easy. You go to the lawyer, everything go to the bank, you approve everything so easy. You go to my country where I live, you go take a freaking driver license there, you see what happens. You know? Right. And how long will it take? You going to do anything, you buy a house there, it's complicated to do the paper. It's complicated to the to deal with the bank I'm not even talking about. Here in Canada it's so easy. We have everything so easy. This country man it's so much opportunity this country and uh i i i i'll be honest with you i'm in love with canada since the first day and I, I was here so so just i mean being in love with canada probably made riding the horses that much more fun but was there anything about uh the weather that you had to change in the way you rode the horse or you trained with the horse is there anything that was different now for the first time in that regard uh, I was I was so enthusiastic to be here that I handled the code like I was I was here for all my entire life. Right. You know. Right. Uh, was I think was one day that I I used the wrong gloves because I put a glove that was too tight in my hands and the circulation in my hands was not <laughs> didn't work. Right. You know. Right. And I, man, I, that day my, my my like my hands was completely frozen. <laughs> I, I remember I, I, when I came back with the horse, I asked my valet for him, please, please uh, take care of the horse, take the saddle off. I need to run inside. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cold. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's only one day that I remember, you right. know. But it was fun. Every, you know, the good part is is good. Good question, actually, you asked me because when it's cold, you know, as competitive we are, with all the jocks trying to look after each other. You know, mm-hmm. because we know it's cold. It's more dangerous if you go down. You know. Right. And uh, and every less arguments. You know, <laughs> because we trying to look after. We trying to compete, but look after each other. You know. Yep. Um, I want to uh, switch just back to mental health again, and I want to. How did you see societal attitudes towards mental health change over the years? I mean, from the time you were, I believe you were taking some therapy in Sao Paulo. Um, and then you went to Macau, and now you're in Canada. So, I mean, how have you seen the attitudes towards mental health change, and how is the treatment different in each country? Um, it depends, you know. Uh, now it's pretty much globally. Uh, with the, uh, I remember the therapist, the ter- therapist that I saw in Brazil, he came to study in Canada, mm. actually, for coincidence, you know. Right. And uh, uh, I did. I cannot say about much about the therapist in Brazil because I really did about what two weeks there okay. was my therapist. Uh, I saw him for two, three weeks. I remember, and then I moved to Canada. Uh, and how people see the general people see about uh, health. I I think I think it's still a lot of work. I think it's better than ten years ago. Yes. You know, uh, you see much more people now say oh i have a coach oh i have a psychology right. psychologist uh and you 
you know, you know yourself, it's like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, like in my country, you, I never he, heard anybody going to the freaking psychology. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but now it's getting more open, you know, getting a little bit more open, but I still, I, need, I, I think it's still a lot of work to do about that, you know? Like where uh, any people, uh, like, at least think to go for help, you know? Right, and, and and ultimately, I guess was it was it just a, a diagnosis of maybe like uh, was it primarily obsessive OCD or was there something that you ultimately found out that you had and that you now work through with you know doing martial arts and meditation and walking in the woods and so on? Was there a certain uh, was there a diagnosis at all, or are you just working? No, th- I was not uh, diagnosed with any like right. kind of uh, thing that my was. Uh, I just have uh, a, what you uh, 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 what was compulsion compulsion behavior. Yes. Yeah, that that's what I was. Right. You know, and uh, and and it's funny because I'll be honest with you, is some days I don't even remember I have that. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you work through that yeah. by by you're you do a lot of martial arts. You're a mind coach now, right? Um, well, martial arts has really helped me out too, you know. Everything helps, okay? Just for you to guys understand a little bit. <laughs> this, when I started in 2006, when I got, I really started working, no, 2007, when I really started working on, on, my, on my mind, I walk to, uh, to the psychologist and he asked about my routine. And, and all I told him was I worked I didn't know how to have a hobby, mm. you know? And as everybody knows, uh, life is not all about working, you know? Have a hobby and, and, and have fun. Right. And Taekwondo is quite, for me, it's the same time I do exercise, but it's also a hobby, you know? I own a Taekwondo school. Oh yeah, and that's that's where. Yeah. Yeah, and today I own a Taekwondo school. Yeah. Actually, I'm talking with you uh, from my Taekwondo school. Yeah, where is in it? Oakville. Oakville, okay. In Oakville, yeah. Oh. Called Dragon Taekwondo. Okay. Oh, nice. Uh, well, now, Eureka, what was, the, what was the process like? I've heard you say this, of, be, as you've said it, becoming your own best friend. How does, how, what's the, where would one get started with that? Okay, as athletes, okay, when I'm in the dark school, for example, if I see another jock with a lot of confidence, I need to switch my, my uh, instead of pay attention on his image in my head, okay? I have to pay the, I, I have to switch to my own image. But my mind was so screwed up, okay? My mind was so screwed up that I could not picture my own image of myself in my mind. What I did was I picture a butterfly, I picture a tree, Okay, until uh, and, and I try to recover, I worked very hard for so ma- so for so long. Uh, stay, you know, nourish that little kid inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to nourish him. And slowly, I start, I start, uh, I start building up my image. Where and then, you know, took some years doing that and then i could see my own image and when the image came to my mind it was a very very strong image of myself 
something that I start loving myself. That's that's how I was. Now, can you imagine I walk in the street? I I own I I cannot picture my own freaking image in my mind. Mm. You know. Right. Um, I I want I mean, I want to ask you about. Um, the, you know, we we we. I know you you talked about the book being more than just about horse racing, but I do think it's important to talk about you know the two biggest wins here in in Canada, which is two thousand nine and twenty ten. When in twenty ten you rode Big Red Mike, and in two thousand nine I think it was Eye of the Leopard, and you were the first jockey to go back to back and win the Queen's Plate since nineteen ninety three. So what were you able to do uh maybe from a mental perspective to bring out of the horses on those days was there any commonality were those horses similar in any way did you have to do something similar to both of them or, or how did that unfold in in your back-to-back win two different horses two completely different horses one was a the uh, big red mike was very spontaneous horse very keen running the beat want to go to the lead and get the job done you know, mm-hmm. Eye of Leopard was completely different. He was a little clumsy and lazy. <laughs> you have to push him the whole way, man. <laughs> you know, his entire life was like that. Until right. the day he retired, man, you had to ride him. You know, it's completely diff- different, uh, different um, uh, uh, horses. Mm-hmm. And second is a completely different mindset because the the first quiz play that I I, uh, I won with a big red mic uh, uh, was is again you know uh, you have to fight the expectation in your mind right I didn't I really want to win the first quiz play but again I have to pay attention just on the process you know eliminate the uh, like think, oh, this is my winning the quiz plate. I win the quiz plate. Everything is going to be different, and all mm. these expectations. You know, you have to block that. Okay. Anyway, I prepare myself. Taekwondo, uh, visualization, focus on the nature, uh, and we won. Now we're going for the second one. Now I'm riding a really good horse, uh, different horses, uh, and really good horse again. Big red Mike, right? One of the he was I think the third or fourth favor. But different horse, and the queen was here, you know. Right. And uh, was big deal, right? The queen came here. Now, I have to work since I was training like thirty days before. Take off the queen from your mind. <laughs> Just focus on the thing, right? I remember I first I did that year to prepare for that quiz plate. I hired a yoga teacher. And she was amazing. I was doing Taekwondo, and after Taekwondo, I do the yoga. And then when I I, le- I, I leave the gym, and I was like, I was very good and spiritual, and not thinking about the race at all. You know, really helped me out. And until I I when I got the day I got there, you know, no, don't let any emotion come in. Just again, do my meditation, do my ritual, and focus on the race and we got lucky <laughs> sure did back to back i don't know if that's lucky or if yeah. that's good i think yeah. that's more good than lucky yeah good to be lucky lucky to be good and how important now is... you need the lucky too in this business believe me luck <laughs> has to be on on your side and how important is it to get to that place especially in a sport where uh, you don't want it where you want to be respectful of the 
you know, the, all the risks that the other jockeys and the horses care, carry when you're all in that tight, you know, area and you're all going so fast. You, uh, you know, one of the fears that when I was riding, I never have fear of my death. You know, I, I when I go there, I connect with the horse, and that's what I think. But I, any time I have fear for so, oh my God, what about one day, like an accident happened and I, I, I kill a rider because it happened to me that I am in the race and one of my friends dies, right? And that is, is very hurtful. And, and, and sometimes that fears can be very strong inside yourself. I don't deny that. Mm. And, and you, there now there's a person in your life that, who's talked about in the book, Alexandria Tersini. What was, what was her significance to you? What, did you what, what does she represent? Man, she represents for me, I'll be honest, if you love compassion, happiness, you know, because in her mind, she lived very simple, you know, she just loved the horses, she loved the races, uh, and, and, and that's that all she, she likes and she enjoys with all her passion. And, and, and as much as I was competing there, how many times I not having the best day, and she still smile and say, oh, Eric, I love you so much, <laughs> the winner is coming, the win, the, the win is coming. You know, it's like she didn't care. She's having fun, and 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 that inspired me. I said, you know what? I I have to have fun, you know, and and just let the again the expectation, the competition goes. Just have fun, and things will turn around quick. And now, and it, she was a big help in my life, man. Big help. And of course, you've got your, you know, your uh, three children. Uh, uh, something that struck me, I saw you, an interview you did with Joe Tilly, and you said one of th the great things about animals is they don't pass any judgment on you. How important is it to, you know, have that for ch your children when they're developing to have that space where they're not feeling like they're being every little, you know, movement they do is being watched? Uh, very important. Very, very important. And it's a connection that the animal, I don't know if they know that, because you're not, not in your own mind, right? You're not getting the love you think. You don't have the enough love for yourself, okay? And then you see the animal look to you uh, with so much compassion, love, you know? Uh, man, it's a, it's a feeling that really go really deep in your heart. That's yeah, awesome. And and what can and what can one uh, like you, you now you're doing working with at you know elite athletes? But you know I went on mindcoaching.ca and I was like you know this is this is stuff I, I sort of need to need to put in. I'm and anyone who's seen me knows I'm no athlete. Uh, what how much can everyday people learn learn from the the lessons you have on your on your website, Eureka? Well, what they they what they have to learn they have to learn not what the tools I give I give them they have to learn themselves you know they have to recognize their own strength inside themselves you know some people learn very quick and some people learn uh, take a little bit longer you know all the tools uh, that i i i teach them is you know uh focus what you can control uh be connected to nature you know i work a lot on meditation okay 
visualization, and and really uh, it's all inside them. You know, I'm not a religion person, but it's a very spiritual thing. Right. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because religion is a theme at the beginning of this book. It's a it's it's very interesting that whole section too uh, of your time in your hometown uh, and how you grew up and how that affected things as you moved on. Uh, it's affecting the way and helped me in another way, you know, because I went to I I, I went more the, the science way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I believe a lot in science, you know, tools that is proof that can help, right? Right. And 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 have a, such a great tools like I do. I I'm training neurolinguistic. I already um, certified coach in neurolinguistic, but mm-hmm. I'm going. I'm taking my masters, and they have such a great tools that is really work fast for you, you know, and. Uh, Really, what holds people back is guilt and shame. Right. You know, and sometimes it's, it take take time for you to bring to the light that guilt or 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 uh, could be a, a misunderstanding about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to listen to the person, ask the right question for them to have more understanding about themselves. You know, and being peaceful. The more they are peace with themselves, the more they're going to, they, the more they're going to perform. That is the key. What uh, what is uh, what does life involve for you now, day to day? I know you talked about the Taekwondo studio in Oakville. Um, what are what are you up to? What does uh, Eurico uh, Rosa da Silva uh, do to, to fill up his days right now? Are you busy? I wake up every day five o'clock. The later five thirty. Wow. I think yeah, that's when I that's go to bed. <laughs> and, and, yeah. so, and so what's the routine? The, the, my routine, I wake up the first thing, I do my meditation, and, you know, I do my ritual that I always did. Uh, continues the same thing. I have a very, uh, I still follow my diet. I have, I like to be, like, high performance. I feel like if I don't eat good, I don't think good. Mm-hmm. You know, I pay a lot of attention on my diet. I try to eat very, very healthy. Um, the first thing I I study a lot. I've been study a lot. You yeah. know, I I working on my speech, and then I have clients that I work on. Okay, usually in the morning. Yeah. You know, I work in the morning. I take my clients to nature. Not much now because we're doing online. Yeah. Okay. I work until like uh, twelve o'clock, between eight, uh, nine to twelve o'clock. I work with my clients, and then I come to the, to the my taekwondo, and I take an hour, two hours break. Okay, and and then uh, then I start working here on, on on my taekwondo until five o'clock. Then I go home, and play with my kids. Do you, do you, um, is there any, I said, you retired in 2018, I believe, right? From horse racing? Yes. So do you have, yeah. is there any desire to get back into maybe opening up a jockey school or, or is there any, any desire to get back into, into that, uh, area of your life that you were so dominant in for so many years? Okay. That's what I did. I pretend I'm on the island. I take my boat and I go to the island and I go there and I put fire on my boat. 
Oh. I cannot go back anymore. You burned the boats. You burned the boats. I only, I burned the boats, my friend. I Viking only, funeral? I, I have to make where I am, okay? I feel as much I feel like I did with horse racing. I will continue being doing what I'm doing. It's, it's not, it's, it's, you, the, the, the business I'm doing, I, I do with some, like, really uh, deep stuff. You know, people open up with me, right? Yes. And sometimes I'm the first person that they yes uh, they open up. I have to be responsible. You know, mm-hmm. I have to prepare myself. If I have the like, I have one percent in my mind that I go back to ride, it's not going to work well in my business. Yeah. You know, and I have phone calls. Like I work with my clients. Sometimes I just have a phone call that they need to talk to me for five, ten minutes. Right. You know. And I have to be ready. Yeah, all, you got to. You know, yeah, got to be all in. And and and, and how much? How important was it too when you decided okay to, you know, call it a day as a, as a jockey that, you know, you, it, that it left you know left you to have all that energy to to you know to be a be a father and be a present father. It's it's everything for me, you know. Uh, my kids is going to grow up, uh, and one day they see me in the box. I don't want they talk about. They not. I, I believe they're not going to pay attention how much money, how successful I was. But the time that I spend with them, that's what will be their memory. And I'll I'll make sure uh, because uh, I'll make sure that I build a lot of great memories with my kids. You know, I take I take the young one. She loves horses. You know, every Sunday we take her for riding horses. Mm. Uh, my son William, he loves his light, his lead, his lead on the snow. You know, and Emilia loves to play in the water. We make sure I'm making sure that we build a lot of great memories for them because it's very important when they grow up. I believe I have to work really hard in myself, inside myself, to go and get that memories. You know, it took me a lot of years to work until I was able to go back now inside myself, look at Eurek when he was four or five years old, and I see me playing soccer, swimming in the river, you know, and all the mem- memories was because it was not many and, and, uh, and, and disappeared from my head. But I want to make sure I build that, these strong memories in my kids' mind. I, I guess that's. The, I want to close by uh, just asking you. Uh, I think I've read in the book that you basically say the horses are a miracle in your life. Uh, is that correct? I mean, when it, does it all come come back to the horses? Hundred percent. So yeah. Hundred percent. Please, please 100%. just share, share, share. You know why the horses are are were and are a miracle in your life, and and yeah, we'd love to hear that in your own words. I tell you why horse is a miracle in my life. Because since I see horse, maybe when I was four years old, okay, they bring the best inside myself. You know, they bring me sometimes uh, the joy that I want to cry. There's so much joy when I'm with the horse. Like, I feel like I was a human being. I feel like, you know, I feel myself, okay? Uh, who I wa- who I am, you know. I believe I'm a good person, and and the horse, and you know, they see me. Um, 
they help me to to see this good thing inside myself since I'm four years old my entire life you see how many struggle went through my life but the moment I was with the horse my friend was a good moment well, we've, we we uh, that we appreciate all the time you've given us today and the great moments you've provided on the track and in your book and I want to just uh, let you tell the audience where they can because this is a self-published book where they can get it if they want to buy if they and then they can get it on our website but where else can they get this book they can get on amazon.ca just search for writing for freedom and also on amazon.com well there you heard it folks it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you today and continued success uh on uh, the book and in your life thank you so much thank you for having me and all the best for you guys you're welcome, Eureka. Thank you.